Mark chapter 10, 32 to 45. And they, that's Jesus and the disciples, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. And our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that the Son of Man did come, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we consider that wonderful gospel truth again today, we pray that you would thrill us. We pray that you would fill us. 
and we pray that we would know ourselves to be those who have been served by the highest king and that our lives would respond in praise and wonder. And we ask it in his name. Amen. This past week, I heard an interview with the New Testament scholar, D.A. Carson. Carson was introduced as a pillar of evangelical scholarship. He's authored or edited just under 200 books and speaks at many of the world's largest Bible conferences. His dad, though, was an ordinary pastor. And at the end of the interview, Carson was asked to read the final paragraph in the book that he wrote about his dad. And through many tears, this is what Carson read. Tom Carson, his his dad, never wrote a book, but he loved the book. He was never wealthy or powerful, but he kept growing as a Christian. He was not a far-sighted visionary, but he looked forward to eternity. His journals have many, many entries bathed in tears of contrition, but his children and grandchildren remember his laughter. He was not very good at putting people down, except on his prayer lists. When he died, there were no crowds outside the hospital, no editorial comments in the papers, no announcements on television, no mention in parliament, no attention paid by the nation. In his hospital room, there was no one beside his bedside. There was only the quiet hiss of oxygen vainly venting because he had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, all the trumpets sounded. On earth, servants are last. But in heaven, servants are first. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our text this morning as we continue our Advent series. You remember we're calling it The Wondrous Gift is Given. And on each of the four Sundays in December, we're parachuting into each of the four Gospels to look at a gift that Jesus gives to those who trust in him. Last week we looked at rest. This week we look at redemption. Jesus served us by redeeming us through his death on the cross. And I want to say right off the bat this morning that though there will be a great deal in this sermon, for those of you who are unbelievers, we Christians need this text too. And we need it because one of the the greatest dangers in the Christian life is drifting into into an over-familiarity 
with the gospel. No longer being amazed at the grace of God at the cross of Christ. And therefore the need of the hour is always for us to be amazed. Too often we settle for being informed. But friends, we are in need of being in awe. I was thrilled on, on Tuesday night to hear of the, of the many in uh, Iran who were coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I was, I was right there with you as we were praying for God to do here what God is doing out there. But friends, revival starts when the church is revived. Judgment begins at the household of God and so does revival. And so my hope and prayer for this message is, is that it would breathe new life into you and revive you and thrill you again. Now when we take a stand back and we look at Mark chapter 10, what we need to remember is that self and selfishness really runs rampant throughout the entire chapter. It opens, you remember, with the Pharisee who tries to test Jesus when it comes to the question of divorce. And then the disciples try to shoo away children from Jesus the way we would shoo away rats. And then the rich young ruler walks away sad from Jesus because he won't give up his money even though it means forfeiting his soul. And then James and John approach Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Give it to us. Give to us the best seats in your kingdom. And so it was about time that Jesus had a word with his disciples about servanthood. It was about time that Jesus brought his disciples down to planet earth or down to his kingdom because in the kingdom, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so today we're going to see, number one, the example of Jesus' service. Number two, the extent of Jesus' service. And number three, the effect of Jesus' service. So number one, the example of Jesus' service. Jesus said there in verse 45, for even the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Now, let's imagine for a moment that you and I were talking with one another after the service today. And I said to you, looking you in the eye, listen, if even someone like me is willing to do something like this, then how much more should someone like you do this. What would you be thinking? Well, you'd be thinking to yourself, Hugh, get over yourself. Why? Because we are equals. We are peers. But the Son of Man is not our equal. And the Son of Man is not our peer. Daniel told us at the beginning of our service, didn't he? He said, when it comes to the identity of the Son of Man, he said, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man and he came to the ancient of days, that is to God, and was presented before him. And to him, to the, to him the Son of Man was given dominion 
and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. But whereas Daniel only knew his title, we know his name. Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. Jesus Christ is the one to whom dominion and glory and a kingdom is given that all peoples, that all nations, that all languages should serve him and yet he first served them. On his hands and feet, our service of Jesus, think about this, is preceded by his service of us. And not in our wildest dreams were we expecting the Son of Man of Daniel chapter 7 to kneel before us and to serve us, to exchange royalty for poverty, immortality for mortality, a throne for a feeding trough, worship for scorn. But he did. Why? To serve us with what we need the most. Redemption. Release. Freedom. Liberation. Deliverance from sin, death, and hell. And so if you're not yet a Christian here today, in view of all of this, isn't it time that you reconsidered The Jesus whom all your life long perhaps you've ignored, despised, and rejected. Because no one else would do something like this. And if Jesus has done what no one else in history has done, then could it be that it's because he's unlike anyone who has ever lived before? And if he's unlike anyone who has lived before, is he not worthy of your reconsideration on his terms? Some of you were raised in the church and Jesus Christ has only ever been boring to you. You're here because your mom and dad have dragged you along, but for you, life is about getting a girlfriend. It's about getting a career. It's about getting as much as you can of what the world has to offer. But are you seeing here that Jesus gave away everything that the world has to offer? Who does that? Others of you weren't raised in the church, but your friends were. And whenever they tried to speak to you about Jesus, they sounded like the white noise that parents use to send babies to sleep. But if this Jesus has done what no one else has ever done, then is it time for you to ask today, who then is this? And others of you weren't raised in the church, but you were raised in other religions. And you've assumed that Jesus is just a religious leader, just like the ones that you've met who are out for power who are out for control, who are out to manipulate you into giving them what they really want. But you never met a religious leader who became a slave to his people, did you? You've never met him before. 
You never met a religious leader who looked you in the eye and said, I came not to be served by you, but to serve you and to give my life as a ransom for many. And that's because this son of man is, like, is unlike anyone who has ever lived. But to those of you who do know this Jesus, if you want to get closer to Jesus, if you want to be more intimate with the one who came for the likes of you and me, you must join him in serving as he served. That if you want to be close to him, that's where you will find him. You will find him in the lowest place of all. That if you want his face shining on you, if you want his countenance upon you, make yourself nothing. And then you'll find yourself in the best of company. This is our problem in the West, isn't it? We're too proud to ask for help and we're too proud to extend help to others. And so we boil down our growth in the Christian life as just accumulating knowledge. But you see that if you're unwilling to serve, then even the knowledge that you do have has no bearing whatsoever on the vitality of your faith in Christ. If you want to find yourself near to this Jesus, you must resemble him. And so, friends, instead of breaking bruised reeds in the church, let's bind them up. Instead of, instead of quenching faintly burning wicks in our family, let's give them some tinder to burn with again. Let's, let's meet the needs of those. And that as someone, perhaps after a service, expresses something that's hard in their lives, not, let's not just say, oh, I'm praying for you. Let's actually pray for them right there and then. A hand on the shoulder and prayers lifted to the one who came. And let's get our hands dirty and do what needs to be done if we're to find ourselves in the company of this son of man. And so we've looked at the example of Jesus' service, but I want us to see second the extent of Jesus' service. Jesus says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, how far did Jesus take his service of us? He took it to death. That's how far Jesus took his service of us. You know, growing up in the church, this was the stumbling block for me. So my parents' faith and the church that I was raised in and my Sunday school teachers, it all left a, a deep impression of me. But whenever I heard anything about the cross, it was nothing more than a mystery to me. And therefore, I knew that I wasn't a Christian. That if I hadn't grasped the cross, I hadn't grasped Christ. And that might be you here today. You, you come to church and you meet some wonderful people, or at least we try to be wonderful. And, and, and the sound of, of so many voices raised raises something within you. And the, the passion with which I at least try to speak holds you for a time. But when it comes to the cross of Jesus, it is nothing more than a bloody question mark and a cross-shaped mystery to you. Friend, the only way to understand what the cross was for 
is to understand why it was needed. And the cross was needed because of sin. Sin is an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God who is infinitely just and fair. And because he is infinitely just and fair, a price needs to be paid. It's why the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, this always sounds a bit extreme to people until they are the ones sinned against. Isn't that true? A couple of weeks ago, there was a post on the Wheel of Hoylake uh, Facebook, what's, uh, Facebook group, and it was a, a warning to people who live on my street. And it said that someone had had their garage robbed and therefore just take extra care locking your doors at night. Well, I want you to imagine that that was your garage. And I want you to imagine that your car was stolen. And I want you to imagine that your car was written off and that the police found the person who did it, took him to court, and in the court, the thief said, I- I'm really sorry. And so the judge says, okay, you're free to go. No payment, no restitution, free to go. And then your insurance company calls you and said, listen, we've got proof of the verdict, so we're not going to pay out for you. You've got to cover that yourself. How would you feel? Well, you would feel outraged. Because baked into all of us is the need for justice. And without justice, society would unravel. It would collapse. Well, God is just. And God is fair. Which means that God must punish sin. But God is also love. He is infinitely loving. And so God found a way to uphold his justice and forgive us of our sin. How did he do it? By punishing our sin in Christ. The Son of Man was the only one who could. And the Son of Man was the only one who did volunteer to have our sin punished in his body. So that the nails and the scourging and the crown of thorns and the bleeding paled in comparison to the wrath of God that was poured out on the only Son of God. And the only Son of Man, Jesus drank the cup that was like all the fury of the Mount Saint of the Saint Helen's eruption, concentrated within a coffee mug, as someone once put it so eloquently. Friends, that's how far Jesus took his service of us. Didn't do anything by half measures. He took it all the way to the cross. Now, left to ourselves, this is hard to hear, isn't it? It's so hard for us to hear because we don't like accepting help and we definitely don't like accepting help when it comes at the cost of someone else. We want oat for an oat. But friends, in this instance, there is no other choice. The only way we can be helped out of our predicament is to accept the help that the Son of Man bought for us. By the shedding of his blood on the cross. And so friend today just simply hold out your hand. And say Jesus I will take it. If this is what you came to give. 
then with empty hands I will freely receive it. And I will be to your love and wonder and praise forevermore. And devote myself to your honor in the world and your glory throughout eternity. But to those of us who are believers, can I say this? Let Jesus' sacrifice of us be the measuring stick of our service to others. Why do I say that? I say that because very often hard work can breed deep resentment, can't it? And we can quickly become those laborers in the fields that Mark preached about recently that begin to resent those who do so much less than we do but receive the same amount in the end. Friend, can I say when that becomes our attitude, the cross of Christ is far in the rear view mirror. And we need to get our eyes back on the cross to put everything in perspective. A couple of years ago, uh, a friend of me and Gloria's, she, she did this hilarious prank on her husband. So he was half asleep on the sofa. He just preached a sermon, just preached his heart out. He was dozing off. And the prank was that she, if he's there where you are, she filmed the video like this. So you could see him in the picture. And the prank was that she'd pretend to be making a video for all of her social media followers about all the chores that she does around the house. The funny thing was, though, everything that she mentioned were actually his chores. So you saw him going from being half asleep to all of a sudden being roused with a look of shock and horror on his face. How dare you? Say that you do those things when I do those things. And he very quickly put two and two together and realized it was a joke. But how often do we resent others when our service isn't recognized? But in view of the cross of Christ, our attitude should be this. We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Full stop. That's it. The example of Jesus' service, the extent of Jesus' service, but then lastly, I want us to see the effect of Jesus' service. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What did the giving of Jesus' life accomplish? What did it affect? It achieved redemption for all who trust in him. That is freedom and release and deliverance. That's the word behind, uh, that's the meaning behind that word. Ransom back in the, in the Bible times, ransom could sometimes refer to the bail money that was paid to get people out of prison or some kind of sentence. And the point then is that Jesus' life was paid to God. To free us from God's judgment, the judgment that we deserve from our sin. This is how the Apostle Peter put it in 1 Peter 1.18. He said, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. But then the question is, then what though? We're free, but what are we freed into? What are we delivered for? And into, and I want to mention three blessings that only the ransomed of God can enjoy. The first of the, is this, peace with God. No longer at enmity with God. No longer running from God. No longer suppressing the truth about God. No longer dreading a meeting with God. No longer being accused before God by a guilty conscience. But peace, perfect peace. Peace as you come Boldly to God as Father, with Him smiling over you. And why wouldn't He smile on you? Because Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. And this is how Paul put it in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then second, we have love from God. That since the weight of God's wrath was poured full strength into Christ, the weight of God's love can be poured full strength into us. And he can say from his glorious throne above, I see you and I know you. And I know your name and I love you. And my favor is on you. And your rising up is precious to me. And your sitting down is seen by me. And I care about every detail about your life. You're the apple of my eye. And all of my promises have been bought by the blood of my son. And I won't let a single one of them fall to the ground. But I will fulfill every one of them until I receive you to glory. And then third, fellowship with God. A a day in, day out relationship with God where I know him and he knows me and he's my father and he is by my side and he's holding my right hand until he receives me into glory. 1 John 1.3 says, Our fellowship is with the Father And with his son, Jesus Christ. And that changes everything about our lives, doesn't it? We're no longer who we used to be because we're now in a relationship with God. And we're no longer alone because he says, I am with you. And I'm with you always. Believers, can I say this? Never move on from the gospel of Christ. Why do I say that? I say that because not only did the death of Christ buy those blessings for you, but the death of Christ assures you that those blessings are yours. How could they not be? And you say, because I'm a a failure, I, I, I get things wrong. But that's what the cross was for. And so since he went to the cross once for all, for all ages we have those blessings eternally he not only bought them for us at the cross he assures us that they are ours when we look to the cross they can only ever be ours we're only human aren't we we're we're up and down 
We're, we're left and right. We're two steps forwards. We're one steps back. We feel like losers. We feel like failures. We get it wrong all the time. And our grasp of the love of God, it wanes. It diminishes. It goes up and down. Like the seasons, it, it changes all the time. And we, we ask ourselves, how can I enjoy that peace again with God? That love again from God? That relationship with God again? The place to start is always Calvary. It's always the cross. It's always the blood of Christ. Because that's where those blessings were bought for us. That's where those blessings are shown to be ours again. And when you know that they're ours, when they know you're yours, they're yours, then you can begin to enjoy them again because you're no longer wondering whether they do belong to you. You know that they belong to you. And to you unbelievers, can I say this? Peace with God, love from God, fellowship with God can be yours today because Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many, not for a few, not for the members of Hoylake Evangelical Church only, no, 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 for many, for a number of men and women and children that no man could count that no calculator could ever calculate or show on its screen. And it's why Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. No one comes to Jesus and hears him say, sorry, the room is is full. Sorry, heaven has no more room for you. But no, the point is that his blood was shed to say, there's room for you. There's space for you at the cross of Christ. I opened the sermon today, didn't I, by reading to you a a memoir of an ordinary pastor. And I want to pick up where I left off. My dad, D.A. Carson wrote, won entrance to the only throne room that matters, not because he was a good man or a great man, but because he was a forgiven man. And he heard the voice of him, whom he longed to hear saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And those words, friend, can flow into you through your eardrums into your soul. Not because you're a good person, not because you're a great person, but because Jesus is a great savior. And his salvation is for all who come to him in faith. Come to him therefore in faith and take it for yourself. Amen. 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 What we're going to sing, from heaven you came helpless babe. And uh, I want us to consider these glorious words as we sing them together. So let's stand to our feet. From heaven you came helpless babe. Let's stand.